journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. Hello, hello, Shavua Tov, and welcome to Learning Online. I am Adel Kozulski, and so pleased to be with you for the next 45 minutes, where we are tripping. We are tripping down the book of Genesis, and we are going to be completing chapter 32, hopefully today. Um, and we are actually at a very, very exciting point, because um, as, we've, as we know, the Bible isn't just about stories and even about things that we can learn about in our lives, but it has extreme historical significance, meaning that we can look today in 2021 and understand our relationship with ourselves, with our families, with our communities, even with the entire world. We can understand it all by understanding what the Torah is teaching us. So I invite you to join with me. Let us go through uh, the book of Genesis, and let us see what it is that it is teaching us. We are on chapter 32 of uh, Genesis, and we are going to be starting on verse 32. So 32, 32. So all of you who are at home, who are able to listen and follow in, it would be great because there are going to be some things that I am going to reference um, and you need to look inside. Where we left off last week was that um, Yaakov was fighting with the angel that represented Esav. We've spoken a lot about the fact that Yaakov, Jacob, represents the Jewish people. Esav represents the Western world, the Christian world in particular. And their entire fight, the entire night, was all about how the Jews are going to have to battle the exile of Edom, which is the longest exile and which is the exile that we are still currently in today, how we will have to battle all the descendants of Asaph that want to try and kill us. And while it has been one heck of a battle, um, and uh, anybody who knows Jewish history, there hasn't been a place where the Jewish people have found themselves um, and there isn't really too much of a place where we don't feel the pain of Asaph's sting. Sometimes it's been much, much harder than a sting. It's been an annihilation. Nazi Germany, the expulsions from Spain, the Khmelnyky Khmelnyky massacres. We could go on and on and on and on. But point being that the entire relationship that we see uh, between Yaakov and Asaph is in fact the relationship that the Jewish people have with the Western world, with the Christian world in particular. And so as we follow how Yaakov physically meets Esau, it's just not about only a meeting of um, brothers who seemingly until now were sworn enemies, but it is also about how Jews will navigate in the exile of Edom until the arrival of Mashiach. So let's look in verse 32 uh, um, of chapter 32. Of course, as always, if you'd like to um, ask a question, pass a comment, 34519 is our SMS line. 061-895-1019 is our telegram number. 
ויזרח לו השמש כאשר עבר את פנואל. The sun rose for him as he passed through פנואל, והוא צולע על ירחו. He was limping on his hip. We're picking up from last week. We know at the end, towards the end of the fight that Jacob was having with the, um, with the angel of Esav, he gives him a blow into his hip and it causes him to lump. And then afterwards we know that he asks the angel to bless him, the angel takes leave, and Yaakov calls this place um, Peniel. So now he's passing through that place but, and he's limping, Um, on, he's limping because of his hip. Now, a few comments over here. The first is, it's, why is it saying, by Yisrach lo Hashemesh, that the sun rose for him? Well, firstly, we got to know that in life, everything eventually becomes balanced. Whether it's good, okay, that good will always see its way through. When there is evil, there will always be a divine retribution. If good is done and you don't see the results of your good, know that it is something that will, 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 will be paid back, um, in time to come and vice versa. That's the law of nature. The law of nature, the law of this world, the law of the universe, I guess we could say, is that, um, there, it's always looking for homeostasis when things eventually become equal. What is the significance of the fact that the sun rose for him? So we are, we are told that the sun rose early. So sunrise was very early for Yaakov. Then why? In order that it would soothe his pain. But interestingly, um, if the sun rose two hours early um, because it needed to heal him, Where in the Torah do we see that the sun set two hours early? I told you, there's got to be homeostasis. There's got to be a balance somewhere along the line. And the answer is, is that we've actually learned it. When in Parashat Vayetze, when we spoke about the fact that just before Jacob was leaving Israel to go into exile, um, and he came to Mount Moriah, he came to Har HaMoriah, we are told there that the sun set two hours early in honor so that Yaakov would remain on Harahamoria. So what we see is the sun set two hours earlier when he was in Harahamoria. Now we're seeing that it is rising two hours earlier. Um, and in this case, it's here to help him uh, soothe his pain. It says, the sun that they're talking about is not, it's, it's, it, it may be the physical sun, but it, it had incredible rays. And if it is for a tzaddik, if it is for a righteous person, then it would heal the wound. Um, but if it was for a wicked person like Asav, it would burn, um, it, it, it would burn them. Now, what Sun. What rays of the sun are we talking about? Well, we have to go even further back in our studies. You can go way back in my podcasts when we were talking about the creation of the world. When the world was created, we know it says on the first day that God created um, um, light. Okay, God said the first one of the first things God said is by Yehi Or, let there be light. 
Well, that was an enigma, right? Because what light was it? Because there was light and there was darkness. But we only see on day four that the celestial uh, beings were created. That's when the sun, the moon, and the stars were created. So what's this light at the beginning of creation? So we know that the light that was at the very beginning of creation was in fact a light that was there because um, it was it it was it was a godly light. It was a divine presence light. It was a light that was reserved for the tzaddikim, for righteous people, and would instantly destroy uh, wicked people. And when God created the sun, the moon, and the stars, it says that He hid the light. So this is the light from the very beginning of creation that came now to shine upon Yaakov. In, in, in a sense, it wasn't a physical light. It wasn't an, an infrared light that would just help with the inflammation of his hip. But we're talking here much, much deeper that this was a primordial light. It was a light that contained the divine presence, and that is what came to soothe Yaakov now. Interestingly as well, we're told in the Midrash Ma'am Lo'ez that whenever people wake up at dawn to study the Torah, a glimmer of this light shines upon them. Again, it does not mean the physical sun. It means that there is a, a, a metaphysical light, a, a sense of understanding, a brightness that comes into a person's mind when, in fact, he studies Torah early in the morning. So this is the light that comes in, that rises for two hours um, earlier in order to bathe Yaakov, um, I guess, in a, 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 a sheath of, 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 um, of comfort and of knowing that Hashem is with them. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. You're listening to Adel Kozilski, and I'm with you going through the verses in Genesis. If you'd like to ask a question, pass a comment, 34519 is our SMS line. 061-895-1019 is our telegram number. We were talking about how this light is healing Yaakov. One of the interesting things also, just to review everything that we have spoken about to this point, if you look back at what has happened to Yaakov until then, you can see that Yaakov, in fact, had four opportunities of receiving blessings. The first one, of course, was the time when Isaac blessed him, okay, when he brought him that tasty dish. That was a very, very big blessing. That was the blessings that he bought uh, with that pot, that, that pot of lentils that he sold the, when Asaph sold the birthright. So that's the first time that he got blessed. The second time is when Isaac again calls him and tells him to leave because Asaph wants to kill him. He blesses him again before he goes off to Padanaram. The third time he receives blessings is when he comes home on his way back from um, his father-in-law, Lavan, and he's on his way from Padamaram. He receives a blessing. And then the fourth time he receives a blessing is when the angel blesses him after he wrestles with him. And the Midrash goes on and tells us something very interesting, that Yaakov reviewed all these blessings, and he said, well, which blessing should I rely on now? And after much thought, he decided he's only going to rely on one blessing. And of all the blessings, the second one, when his father sent him away, 
was, if I could put in inverted commas, the weakest blessing. All the other blessings were very, very precious, but they were not, um, uh, even though it, it was a blessing, it was not as significant as the other ones. So Yaakov said the following, and this is in line with my introduction, that everything that Yaakov did wasn't just about himself and his children, was about the Jewish people and how we are going to survive the, the galut, the exile. Yaakov said, I'm going to make use of the blessing my father gave me when I left Padam Aram, and the other blessings I will save for my descendants will need them in the future because when the nations come together, and they wage war against my children, they will need them more than I do. Now, how do we really, really understand this? So the Midrash gives us a very interesting parable. And the parable they give is about a king who had many, many powerful soldiers. And um, news once reached the king that a highwayman was, robber, was robbing travelers um, in the area. And so he called two of his soldiers and he dispatched them to go and, you know, um, arrest, kill this highway robber. So people said, like, why are you only sending two soldiers? You know, you're a king. You have so many soldiers. Why don't you send much more to go capture this thief? And uh, the king replied, for a thief such as he, two of my soldiers are sufficient. I must keep the rest of my army intact in case there is a major war. So this was really Yaakov's thinking as well. He went and said, my father's second blessing, which out of all four blessings was the, the weakest of them all, is sufficient for my present, my present predicament of um, meeting uh, Asaph. Let me keep the rest of the more powerful blessings for my children, because when great world powers attack them, the other blessings will be their shield. And indeed, we could see, like uh, Esau, um, Yaakov meeting Esau with just 400 men is nothing compared to when the Jews had to meet the Roman army, was nothing when the Jews had to you know, face up against um, Spain or, the, or, or, or modern-day Germany. And what happened to them, there were much greater times where we needed the blessing of of, 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 of God and our, our, our need, our ability to survive. And thank God those blessings have come true. Um, and I, I always say, and I keep on saying it and repeating it, if anybody had a doubt as to why we have survived, because out of, under normal circumstances with all things taken into consideration, we should have been a people wiped off this planet long, long time ago. But to keep on bouncing back, albeit we have gone through such terrible horrors, in our, our history, and it, it has to be, it, it, you have to come to the conclusion that there's something greater than what meets the eye, that there is, there is a God, there is, there is, there is something divine that is protecting us. And part of that protection is, in fact, um, the idea that um, Yaakov kept in reserve all the other blessings so that they will stand in merit for us when we have to oppose um, the people who want to kill us. To sum up this limping hip, though, um, we are just going, I did mention it <clears throat> last week, but I just want to speak about it again. The Torah spells it out very clearly. Alcain, therefore, it's talking, it's referring back to his limping hip. Alcain, therefore, lo yochlu b'nei Yisrael et gid hanashe, 
the, Jew, the children of Israel must not eat the displaced nerve. It's called Gid Hanashe, the displaced nerve. Asher al kaf hayarech, that is on the hip joint, ad hayomazeh, to this very day. Ki nagab kaf yarech Yaakov begid hanashe, because Yaakov's hip joint was, 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 um, hurt at the place of the displaced nerve. So we now know, just to have a little bit of a discussion on this, I am not an expert in cushering meat. Um, I have not learned the laws of what we call trabering, which is how we remove um, forbidden sinews and nerves from kosher meat. We know that there's an entire process that, that happens to the meat before the meat is able to be eaten. We have to soak away the blood. Um, we have to take away, we have to traber away all the forbidden sinews and nerves, etc., etc. But what I did mention last week and going to mention again today that we are forbidden to eat the Gid Hanashe, which I'm just going to call as the displaced nerve. If you want to know exactly what nerve that is morphologically, it's the sciatic nerve. If you are really into biology, it's the nervous iscaticus. Okay? Um, and in humans, we know it's a large nerve that runs down the back, the whole back of the thigh. Now, we are not allowed to eat the hind quarter of an animal simply because of this nerve. It's one of the 365 negative commandments um, that we need to keep. And very interestingly, if you look um, at a, a picture of an animal, we know that um, it is the nerve that passes through, as it says in the verse, al-kaf hayerich, in the hip joint of the of the animal now kaf really means spoon so kaf hayerich means in the spoon of the thigh um so basically and in modern terms this is talking about the hip hip joint um so there's a muscle structure that is raised and it's convex like a spoon and the torah forbids us to eat the nerve that is found in that rave that raised convex muscle on the hip joints. Now, um, this is forbidden in all animals, and one can actually ask, why do we not then have that problem when it comes to chickens or birds? So we are taught that in birds, the muscles on the hip bone are not convex. They lie flat against the body, and so because the bird has a different a physical um, makeup to a cow whose hip of the joint is convex, what happens with the bird is that it is the, the, this 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 um, nerve is completely removed, and you can eat it. Now, what would happen in the days of the temple? If you ate the sciatic nerve, if you decided you wanted to be osteoporous and eat the hind quarter of an animal and you didn't really care that there was this sciatic nerve running through the hip joint, we are told that the prescribed punishment was lashings. And, and in ancient times when the Sanhedrin, the, the Jewish court, 
could exert power, a penalty of 39 lashings was actually enforced. And just to be clear that this nerve is forbidden on both the right and the left 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 back leg. So it's not just on one leg that because Yaakov was hit on one leg, but the prohibition is actually on both legs. There is another nerve there called the perineal nerve, which is also forbidden. And so um, it is really, really, really difficult um, to clear up. Having said all of that, there are certain shaykhtim, there are certain uh, people who have, who are uh, being trained, very, very, very highly trained to remove these nerves. And if they can do them according to halakha, then there is no problem in eating it. However, the general rule is that it is way too difficult and therefore we do not we do not uh, we, we, we do not eat it. Anybody who knows how to do it uh, doesn't learn it just from reading a book. They have to be apprenticed with another person who is an expert in that. Interestingly, on a, on a, on a little bit of a deeper level, the sciatic nerve is why is it called gid hanashe, the displaced nerve? So the Torah teaches us that one who eats the sciatic nerve causes one's thoughts to be displaced. And brings him to forget about the fear of God, and and this is this nerve is the dwelling, so to speak, of the Yetzirah. That's something very very interesting. What happens with kosher shchita? What happens with animals that go for shchita today? Well, the forequarter um, is given over to the the, the kosher butcheries. Um, and um, obviously the animal is, is shechted by a sheikhet, by a ritual slaughterer. Uh, the forequarter goes to the Jewish market, and the non-Jewish quarter is then reserved to the general public and to um, the non-Jewish world that, you know, is not hassled by eating um, the hind quarter. Um, and one is able to deal in, in, in a business such as that. So say you're a farmer, um, you can slaughter the animals, sell the hindquarters off to the Gentile and sell the forequarters over to the Jews. There are certain things, for example, like um, possession of chametz that you can't have. You've got, you've got to completely get rid of it. You cannot have enjoyment from it or, or even be in possession of it. That does not apply to, 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 to this area. And so we do. We do have farmers who have got extensive cattle farms and that is what they do. So that is just a little bit of a comment on the sciatic nerve and why if you go into a kosher butchery, you will only see the forequarter, not the hind quarter. Right. Let's now go. We finished up uh, chapter 32. We're now going to start chapter 33, verse 1. We're at the point, Taram, where there is going to be the physical meeting of Yaakov and Esav. So verse 1 reads as follows, Vayisa Yaakov Einav. Yaakov raises his eyes, Vayar, and he sees, Vehine, and behold, Esav Ba. Esav is coming. 
and with him are 400 men. You remember we had this whole discussion, was it only 400 men or 400 princes? With all their men, it could be 400,000 men. And so he immediately, as any good father would do, he separates his children. He separates and he puts the children with the appropriate um, mothers with Leah, with Leah, Rachel, and the two maid servants. And how does he uh, subdivide them? This is on the opinion that he, he puts them in the arrears. Other opinions are that is he separates them into two separate camps. But here it says, um, He puts the handmaidens and their children first. Then he puts after that Leah and her children. And Rachel and Yosef are right at the back. Um, so what it seems over here is that he's putting his maidservants first, which seems like, well, that's unfair. Like how do you, Yaakov, go and choose who are you putting forward? How do you choose between your wives and your children and who's more important and who's not? Okay? Um, so the Torah is not telling us that Yaakov willingly was happy to sacrifice Bila and Zilpah and his sons because he knew that all his children were destined to be the tribes of Israel and they were very important to him. But rather he knew that the divine presence rested automatically on the tents of Rachel and Leah and so he wasn't apprehensive about them. He therefore first prayed uh, that God will allow Bila and Zilpas. It was more about a prayer when it says that he divided up. He divided them up in his prayers. He prayed first for Bila and Zilpah and their sons, then for Leah and Rachel in order to ensure their safety. But there was no bigotry here and no choosing um, of, of, of any form. And here we have it. Verse 3, he went ahead of them. He left the wives and the kids behind. He went ahead of them. He prostrates himself seven times until he reaches his brother Esav. Now we can ask the question, certainly we know that Later on in the Torah, in Shemot, we are told, you shall not bow down to any other god. And we know that Asaph had set himself up as a god. So how is it that we are seeing now that Yaakov bows down to him? The Midrash goes on and answers this question and says, Yaakov didn't bow down to Asaph. He actually was bowing himself down before the divine presence that was accompanying him and that was actually helping him. On the other flip side, Esav was looking at this. He thought that Yaakov was bowing down to him. But Yaakov was not. He was bowing down all the time to the, to the, to the divine presence um, that was accompanying him. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Well, I've just got in a question. Who did Yaakov receive the third blessing from? Just to repeat again, the first blessing was from his father Yitzchak, 
when he got the birthright. The second was when Yitzhak blessed him when he left Padamaram. The third that that is being asked here, you can go look at chapter 35, verse 9, is when God gives him a blessing that he'll be with him and that he has to come back home. And the fourth blessing, of course, was the angel. Joseph, I hope I answered that question for you. Right, so he bows down. Um, he goes ahead. He's bowing down. We know that he's bowing down um, to the divine presence, not to Asaph. Asaph thinks that he's bowing down. And what happens? Verse 4, by Yarat Esav Likrato. Esav runs to greet him, to meet him. He hugs him. And he falls on his neck. And he kisses him, and they both cry. Now, I told you guys, if you're at home, open up your Chumash. You've got the original Hebrew. Look at the word Vayishakehu. If you look at the word Vayishakehu, you will see there are lots of dots and things on the word. Okay? Um, which means it brings out that there is something, um, something more than just them. Oh, two brothers. They go, how's it, mate? Haven't seen you in such a long time. And they hug and kiss each other. It wasn't that simple. The first thing to know, says the Midrash, before Esav runs to greet him, is that Esav, interestingly, is scared of Yaakov. Why is Esav scared of Yaakov? Because he knows that when he sent all the gifts, he says, in Lavan Garti, I lived with Lavan for so many years, and I remained honest. He knew that if his brother Jacob was living with that naysayer, that good-for-nothing Lavan, and he came out unscathed. On the contrary, not only did he come out unscathed, but that he actually came um, out wealthy, that he was able to escape Lavan's clutches. He, therefore, would have been, Yaakov himself would have been a master of the occult, and therefore Esau was silently, like quietly, scared of Yaakov. But now, why is it saying that they, he hugged him and he fell upon his neck and he kissed him, all in the singular, and they cried? What was Yaakov doing? What was happening here? So there's a very famous Midrash that tells us that Esav, good for nothing Esav, you can never change you know, the, the, the spots um, on the animal. He's still an animal. He actually tried to to do something different. He knew that he wouldn't be able to fight against against Yaakov because Yaakov was extremely powerful, right? And he knew a lot of, of, of the occult. So he was going to try and kill him in a very interesting way. He was going to try bite Yaakov on the neck. Why? Because he wanted to, he, he figured, look, I'm not going to kill Yaakov with a sword. Um, or with any other weapons. I'm going to kill him with my teeth. And what, I'm, what, what he intended on doing was he wanted to bite his jugular and make him bleed to death. But what happened? <laughs> Miraculously, Yaakov's neck turned as hard as marble. Now, you go bite some marble. Tell me what happens to your teeth. Your teeth shatter. Okay. Um, and what happened at the end is they both started crying. Asav was crying because he mucked up his teeth. He had 
the most incredible pain because his teeth got shattered and they hurt. And Yaakov uh, started crying um, because it 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 it, it hurt. It it was sore. Um, how his you know even though he changed in, into to marble, there was definitely there was definitely pain. Yaakov, can you imagine your neck turning into marble? We know very well what happens when we have a stiff neck, right? Um, so Yaakov started crying in pain because of his stiff neck, very stiff neck. And Asaph started crying because his teeth came wobbling out. So that was how they actually <laughs> met. <laughs> Asaph had intention to kill Yaakov and um, a miracle happened. Now, one of the other reasons why Yaakov was, um, was in pain was that he realized that he had not put his complete trust in God. Remember, now we're going back to that third blessing. God says, go home. I will be with you. I will guard you. I will look after you. And he's, he, he doesn't make, um, make full use of that blessing. Okay. And in fact, um, the Torah um, takes him to task and says that he should never, Yaakov should never have tithed his flocks because when you tithe something, when you give a tenth of something, it has a, uh, it has a holy um, label put onto it. That's why when we tithe, we only give our miser to the Kohanim and the Levium, to the Levites and the Kohanim in the time of the Beit HaMikdash. So God said to Yaakov when he tithed his flocks, and he sent it to Asaph. He said, what you're doing is not right. You are taking Misa. You are tithing. Tithing is holy and you're using it for a secular purpose. Yaakov argued back, no, it's not because it's necessary. Either I flatter him or he's going to kill me. Um, and God responds back, not only did you send him a tithe, you also violated my word. Okay, I told you that the greater one will be a servant to the younger one. You know your blessings. Okay, um, and you know, instead of behaving like Asaph's master, um, you addressed him as your servant Yaakov. So he was struck with pain when uh, when Asaph bit him. But Yisa, it's Enav. So after they both like go back and they they they, they scream from pain. But Yisa, it's Enav. He lifts up his eyes, Esau, He lifts up his eyes and he sees the woman and the children. And he says to Yaakov, who are these? The children are whom God has been kind enough to grant your servant. Meaning these are, these are, these are my kids. And so what Happened when they when 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 they saw this conversation happening, Bila and Zilpa come forward and they bow before, they approach themselves before Esau with their children and they bow down to them. Then what happens? Vatigash gam Leah Then Leah and her children come forward. They come forward. nigash Yosef And then finally. Yosef and Rachel come forward and they prostrate before them. Now, if you look again very carefully inside, you will see that there is something wrong. We're going to go for a little bit of a break. I'm going to let you look inside the Tanakh 
and see what is wrong with the way the mothers and their children approached ASAP. This is 101.9 High FM. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Right, let's just see why did the the mothers, what's wrong with the sequence? Well, if you can see, it says that um, the Shvachot, Bella and Zilpah, come forward with their children, and then Leah comes forward with her children. But what happens when it comes to um, the last two? Yosef comes first, and then Rachel. And we're going to end with that. Unfortunately, I'm not going to manage to finish this entire chapter. Um, why did Yosef stand forward? Now, remember, there's somebody missing here. There's Dina, the daughter. Dina is sitting in a chest, hidden away from Esav, because um, Yaakov did not want him to see Esav, because she would otherwise have been betrothed to him, being Leah's daughter. Um, what is going on now? So what we are told is that Yosef, first of all, we know that Rachel was also very, very beautiful. Remember when he looked upon her, said that she was Yifat Toar, the Yifat Mare, she was beautiful both in form and appearance. And Yosef was not about, the son was not about to take chances because he might still try, force Yaakov either to, to divorce Rachel and how would you argue that? He would have gone and said, listen, Lavan had two daughters. Um, they should be divided up evenly. Now you married Leah first. Um, and now that you've got Leah, I want Rachel. I want Rachel for me. And so Yosef reasoned that it would be best to conceal her. Right? So that is why you see the verse flipping and saying that Yosef stepped through first because he was still shadowing and hiding his mother. And finally, one other last comment. The Torah says, Yaakov and Leah and her children also approached. Also, why? Because remember that, uh, Leah, that, that Leah showed now that she was, um, not afraid. Okay. And that, um, that once she was married to Yaakov, she was guaranteed because God had already saved her that she would be saved from Esau again now. And so she was not afraid. So she also just stepped up voluntarily because she was no longer afraid. Well, that wraps up our journey for today. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed teaching it to you. Stay safe, stay sane, and please, God, we'll see each other again next week.